All right, those who are 4 to 12 years old, you can go to your choir rehearsal. The rest of us are going to go to James, chapter 5. This is not the title slide. But in, during our Christmas season here, uh, the theme in our in our um, well, the the notes that come with this um, this I'll go back to that gentleman. That's okay. I want us to think about one uh, thing uh, about Christmas that will help us to think differently than the world around us. Uh, last week we looked at Come Let Us Adore Him, and uh, this morning, uh, the gift of His presence. If you lived in Old Testament times like we discussed in Sunday school with Joshua, I don't know what the children are learning in their Sunday school classes, the promise of God's presence is what gave the Israelites boldness to conquer the promised land, and what caused Rahab... Uh, to turn from her people and probably eventually from her um, job as a harlot to serve the true and living God. And with the little bit of knowledge of God that she had, it was enough for her to convince her that God is the God of heaven and he is worth serving instead of everything she learned growing up. It was enough to say, I don't want the gods of the Canaanites and Jericho. She never went to Sunday school. She never saw Moses on a flannel graph. Okay? She never learned all of the stories uh, that we, uh, many of us have learned uh, growing up, uh, but with what little knowledge she had, probably from traders and, uh, and uh, merchants that came. Um, she knew with the people of Jericho, that the Israelites, two to three million of them, encamped right across the Jordan a couple miles from them. Uh, they knew how God had already been with them, and she wanted to be part of, of that group. And if you got saved as an adult, you had to decide, I don't want to continue the rest of my life away from God's presence. I want his presence with me. And that is Christ's name, Emmanuel. God with us. And that is in the Christmas story in Matthew 1, uh, 23. James is going to um, not really talk about Christmas. <laughs> but how do we live in light of we have the gift of God's presence? James is going to conclude his book in James 5 with now that we have uh, a lot of teaching that James has given the churches that are scattered abroad, he is their first pastor of the Jerusalem church. Many of them, with the persecution of Stephen, were scattered in Acts 7, end of Acts 7, beginning of Acts 8. And so James writes as the pastor uh, and still has a heart for these people, although they've scattered around the Roman Empire, and they get this letter. Some of them may have taken uh, weeks or months to get this letter from James, probably copied, uh, to go to many different areas. 
uh, and the first letter, first book of our New Testament written. And so that's why we are here. Uh, and we'll try to follow a chronological order of when the books of the Bible or New Testament were written. Uh, so what we'll study next, uh, I'll have to double check. I think it's Galatians, uh, which, which is what we think was written second. Um, we've already looked at the Gospels. We have already looked at Galatians about eight years ago, uh, but many of you weren't here eight years ago. And so, and we'll do a review of uh, that book of Galatians. But the gift of God's presence, we cannot take it for granted and we cannot be distracted with everything that's going on around us in this Christmas season from this is a big deal. Christmas is a big deal because God became a man. We can't miss that. If we miss it, we'll get sucked right into Yankee swaps and garland and trees and lights and snow and Perry Como and everything else that you may think of when you hear and, and think of Christmas. And that's not it. That's a distraction from what is it, and it is his presence. And at, at church especially is where we gather as God's people, Christ's body, and we're going to learn about Christ. And we're going to try to follow Christ and imitate Christ and obey Christ. So James, as we have come to expect, is going to give us some pretty challenging words this morning. And you know where we're at. We're in the next passage of what we talked about last week. And you, if you read ahead, you're like, oh, doesn't James stop? <laughs> like, doesn't he give us a breather? Uh, no, you're not going to get a breather today. Um, and so we're just faithfully uh, marching through the book of James. And today we're going to talk about what we just love to talk about, patience. I don't know about you, but I really, really lack patience. It is the kind of thing where humility and patience, you don't want to pray for. Because when you pray for it, God's going to put someone slow in front of you. When you're already left just in time to make it to church or work or in an appointment. That's how it was with us this morning. And I had this in my mind as I was driving down 110, five miles, behind someone who was slow. And I wish I could text the person in front of me and say, don't you know the speed limit is this? And, but I don't have their phone number in my phone and my wife to text while I'm driving, right? But Christ wants us to be patient. And there are some truths here that we're going to learn that's, that's going to help you to remind you of the character of God and what you're missing about the character of God that will help you to be a patient person. I have worked with a lot of people, Christians, that have been impatient. And when you're under a time frame, maybe you have a boss that tells you this job has to be done by Friday, you have pressure and Going slow and moving the deadline to Monday is not an option. So you and your team at work have to be, you have to get things done every day this week so that you can hit the deadline by Friday. And anything that holds you up is like, oh, I'm going to have to stay late tonight because I have to get this job done. And we can be caused to have a lack of patience. If you don't think you're an impatient person, Ask children to help you to do something that you can do by yourself, that you know when they help you, it will take you longer. 
but it's not about getting the job done. I get my boys tools for Christmas and my girls are starting to ask for tools. Yeah, that's good. So they have a drill and tape measure and some other tools. And when I ask them to do help me with the job, I'm going to expect, and I've got to think this way ahead of time, I have to expect it's going to take longer. But it's not about getting the job done. It's about teaching them how to use the tool that they have. And God is like that with us many, many times when he could do things a lot better. Christ could have stayed on earth and done everything he wants us to do better than we can do it. He could have people that are like Moses live much longer than 120 years, but that wasn't God's plan. He had Moses while he was still in his prime, so to speak. He hikes to the top of a mountain and then dies. Okay, he's not weak. But he wants Joshua to take over, and Joshua lives 110 years, and he could allow Joshua to live longer, but he doesn't. He wants the next generation to come up and lead. And there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be the pastor here, and I've got to train the next pastor to be a disciple-maker here, and others that are disciple-making. And Sunday school teachers here, your class is not going to be yours forever. You're going to have to hand it off one day and say, you know what, there are other younger ladies or younger men that should be teaching, and we need to train them to teach and then let them, let them teach. But it's hard to let go of things that we're good at. It's going to be hard for me to let go of my steering wheel and let my kids learn to drive. <laughs> okay. And all of you that have trained kids to drive, you know, yeah, it is hard. It's hard to sit on the passenger side, and there's no brake over there. And you can push the floor all you want, but you're not going to get the car to slow down. You have to have patience when you're teaching. Because if you're teaching a first, second, third, fourth, fifth grader, teaching college, whoever is in your class does not know the subject like you know it. They're going to have to have a process of learning and that process sometimes is frustrating when students don't get it the first time or the second time or the third time. And this is how it is with our search for Christ-like wholeness, which is we're complete. We're like Christ, maturity. Christ is going to put things in our lives that's going to help us to grow, to be more and more like him, more and more patient. And allowing people to serve, allowing people to grow, allowing people to learn. You didn't know everything you know at 50 that you, uh, you want your kids to know when they're 20. It just doesn't happen. They have to learn. And we need to learn, and we don't know everything that we're going to know in heaven, even if we live 80 years walking with the Lord. So what do we do with people? Um, in chapter 5, let's suppose at the beginning of chapter 5, you're not the rich, you're the poor who has been taken advantage of by the rich in a church. Let's suppose that you are not the smartest person in the room and you know it. And so you want smarter people to know God's word and to help you to know God's word, but you don't get it right away. And the people that are smarter than you, more intellectual, they're better read, they just remember things better, they memorize better, they walk with God better, whatever it is, they can look down on you. 
And that's where we find ourselves in how do we have unity like Christ when we deal with other people? And how do we show that we have grown in our walk with the Lord? It should show up obviously with our patience. How many times have you heard or maybe have said, you try my patience? How many of you have heard that? How many of you have said that? You're trying my patience. Okay, I have this much patience and you've used it all up. Okay, so where do we get patience from? You don't get it from Walmart. You can't find it on Amazon. Cyber Monday, it didn't happen. You can't buy it at a store. You get it from your God. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, etc. James knows that. James knows that we are, none of us are naturally patient people. We're all opposite of patient. We get irritable, frustrated, we lack patience, we're impatient people. So that's why this passage tells us, you think you're mature, okay, yes, you're growing, but you need to work on this area, and all of us need to work here. Be patient, verse 7, therefore. Be patient with people around you, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and latter or late rains. Now, it's hard to think about farming with a foot of snow on the ground. But in four or five months, if you're near a farm, or if you've ever worked for a farm or drive past a farm, and you talk to a farmer, they're going to say, there's a certain season for everything in farming. Right now, <laughs> it's a time to enjoy the harvest. It's a time to eat what we have stored up. It's a time to let the ground sit. It's a time to repair tractors. It's a time to repair other equipment that has been broken down. And it's a time to rest. So what should we be learning here? Practical patience until Christ comes. I don't know about you, but I, there's times in life that I really want the Lord to come back like right now. Some of you may be watching the news and listening to, um, listening to the debates that are happening in, uh, in politics, and you think, I just wish the Lord would come back before the 2020 election. That'd just be great. Like, and the news is not going to be concerned about who got elected in November of 2020. They're going to be concerned about what happened to all the people that just got that just disappeared. And that's going to make the news. Well, we have to be faithful. And James is going to talk like the rest of the New Testament is going to tell us that we have to expect the Lord to come at any time. And if we don't expect the Lord to come at any time, we're going to struggle with patience. So here's the first thing that is going to help us to be practically patient all the time is we have to expect the Lord to come. Where should we be learning patience? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. I've got seeds to plant at times, and I don't think there's any seeds that grow overnight. There's no seeds that you put in the ground and the next day you get fruit. Doesn't happen that way. Some of you that are into planting fruit trees, like apple trees, you know you don't plant an apple tree 
and then get fruit even the next year, right? It's years that you have to wait. It's years that you're waiting and waiting and spraying and pruning and watching. And we have to learn from a farmer or maybe today a gardener. We plant seeds and we don't expect immediate fruit. We plant seeds or very small plants that we can get at Home Depot or Walmart or wherever you get your plants from, pepper, tomato, uh, whatever plants that you like. You plant those small plants or seeds and then you wait and you water and you weed and you wait and you wait and you wait. What's the purpose of that? So that you have good fruit. If you found some miraculous scientific uh, seeds or uh, plants that you could plant, it may, it's probably not going to be healthy for them to put a seed in the ground and tomorrow you get tomatoes. Like, hey, and you bring them to church in May. There's not tomatoes sitting out here, and none of you have tomato plants ready in May. You know what we get overloaded with tomatoes here in our lobby? August, September, October, and everybody's trying to get rid of their tomatoes. I got all these tomatoes. I got to get rid of them. But you never see tomatoes out here in May or June, probably not even July, because tomatoes don't happen overnight. We have to learn patience over seasons. The farmer has to teach us patience. And if you need to work on the farm or you need to get some plants uh, to help you, maybe to help your, your children learn patience, it's a good process. And in this process, you may be thinking bigger than just plants because this isn't just about farming. He's talking about being patient until the coming of the Lord. It's a bigger picture here. So God expects us to be patient until Christ comes back. The word patient could also be enduring. And we know from James 1 that we are to count it all joy, brothers, when you meet various trials, for knowing that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness or patience or endurance. So we're going to see that theme again coming up in James 5 that we are to be patient. And in my Bible, there's, this, there's a, a title above verse 7 that says, Patience in Suffering. And when we suffer, even a little bit, we can react, and when we react, we're showing a lack of patience. Christ-likeness is grown in our souls, not overnight. No one gets saved on Monday and Tuesday there completely whole or Christ-like. It's a lifelong endeavor that as we walk with the Lord, he forms Christ in us. And we have to be patient with some, with ourselves. Our spouse has to be patient with us. Our kids have to be patient with us. We have to be patient with them because all of us are growing at different rates. And we may have to teach something over and over and over again. What would the farmer teach us? He would teach us that you don't just weed once. You weed over and over again. You may not just fertilize once. You may fertilize on a, on, a, on a schedule. You don't just water one time. Your plants don't need all the water right after you plant them. They need water over time, or you can drown them, and they're not going to thrive. There is a process that farming happens before the precious fruit comes. And the precious fruit here is Christ-like patience. We all want to be married with someone who has Christ-like patience, right? But do we want to be that person? Eh. <laughs> 
We want to parent children that have Christ-like patience with us who we fail as parents. If you're a grandparent, you want your grandchildren to just love you and love your cookies and love all the fun that you have, but you don't want them to be patient while the cookies are being made and while they're being cooked. No, you can't eat all the dough. We're not going to have cookies. Okay? We have to learn patience. And Christ is the goal of our patience. When we look like Christ, then the process is precious in God's sight. And we can. By God's grace, we can be Christ-like in how we are patient. So we learn patience from a farmer. We're in James 4, for those of you that just came in. James 4 and verse 7. We just got uh, through verse 7. To be patient, brothers in Christ, until the coming of the Lord. Why does he mention the coming of the Lord? Because it's going to show up again um, in verse 8. You also be patient. Okay, don't just let, don't just learn patience from a farmer. A, patient, a farmer has to have patience. We also have to be patient. So he says it again. Verse 7 begins with be patient. Verse 8 continues. You also be patient. Establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts or encourage yourself to be patient. How do you encourage yourself to be patient? Well, if you're a farmer, you're looking out at your crops and oh, there's little... I'm sorry. James 5. Did I say James 4? Okay, James 5. Sorry. If you're in James 4, you're going to be very frustrated with me. And I'm going to try your patience. So James 5. Thank you. Um, we learn patience until Christ comes from a farmer. But if there is along the way, if you're, if you're planting seeds or you're watching your plants grow, there are times where you say, whoa, did you see how much the corn has grown? You see how much that the, the tomatoes are growing? And there's even little small tomatoes on the, on the plant. Now, there is progress that we can see as we learn patience from a farmer. So practical patience until Christ comes. There are things that should be encouraging to us. There is Christ-like patience that as we see it in ourselves, as we see it in other people, we should be encouraging our children. We should encourage in those who we're discipling. We should be encouraged ourselves to see Christ-like patience. If you habitually lose your patience with people and get irritable, and you say, God, this is not right. If I'm behind a slow person on 110 on the way to church, I should not be riding their tail, blowing the horn, um, wishing I could text them to tell them what the speed limit is. I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. I should be thinking about, hey, God wants me to go 35 in a 45. i got to be okay with that. Because God put this person in front of me. I didn't choose this person to sit in front of me and go slow. They don't know that I'm late to church, and that's my fault that I'm late, and I left right on time so I could just everything go well, all the traffic lights be green, and I'll get here on time. That is how I think sometimes, and that's not, that's not good. We have to learn patience from a farmer, and we need to be encouraged in verse 8. We need to practice patience by strengthening our faith on Christ's second coming. So when someone says, you try my patience, what we should say is, you try, you're trying my faith. Trying your patience. Patience is a fruit. Patience isn't a, a root of the problem. The root of our lack of patience is we don't see Christ in, in life. 
We're forgetting about our God. Our God is sovereign. Our God controls everything. He controls all the processes of life, and a godly farmer is going to tell you that. He can plant the seeds. He can water the crops. He can spray them for bugs. He can do everything right, and if God doesn't want those plants to produce, they're not going to produce fruit or as much as he wants. God needs to be in the picture. And for a mature Christian, the second coming of our Savior should help us to be patient. How so? Our faith needs to be strengthened. Our God will set things right. We don't have to change everything in the culture around us, or then we'll have patience. We don't change everyone around us and say, now when everyone else around me is Christ-like, then I'll be patient with them. Because we have to go through various trials, and those trials are for our benefit personally. And if we lack patience, James is going to tell you and me, you better be patient. And he says it twice, you better be patient. And strengthen your heart. Strengthen your faith in your Lord who is coming. And if you don't think the Lord is coming, look what James says at the end of verse 8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's close. You say, yeah. Now, if you're thinking like I'm thinking, that's been 2,000 years since James wrote this. And Christ hasn't come yet. That's wrong thinking. The New Testament is always going to tell you be ready for the coming of the Lord. When you least expect it, he's going to come. You know when I'm the most patient? When I'm expecting God to come back that day. You know whenever you'll be most patient? When you're expecting God to come back today. And it can be just as simple as someone sends me a text saying, what if it was today? Oh, yeah. I've been working on my house and I told you i got to have patience there. But Marcus and I are working a lot and... I just had this thought, and it wasn't my flesh. It was the Holy Spirit telling me, you know, Christ could come back today. Oh, yeah, then drywall doesn't seem that big of a deal. Cleaning up dust, messing with snow removal this week, it just doesn't seem that big of a deal. Whenever I think Christ could come back today, okay, that really helps me to put things into perspective, and this is how a mature Christian needs to live. Christ could come back today. Maybe you need to put that up in your house. Maybe you need to put that on your mirror. Maybe you need to put that in your car. Wherever you find that you are really struggling with patience and people don't want to be around an impatient person, maybe it's on your desk at work. If you just put, be patient because Christ may come back today, it may just be enough. That's straight out of verse 7. That may just be enough to say, you know what? It's not worth writing that email. Delete the email. <laughs> it's not worth writing. I just need to be patient with this pe these people that I'm working with. Okay, as a mom, as a dad, you say, you know what? It's it's okay if there's a little bit of dirt on the on the uh, silverware or on the the plate. They didn't load the dishwasher right. It's not exactly how I would have loaded it. That's okay. Put it up where you're going to see it and where you struggle the most with patience. Because let me tell you this: a patient person is very pleasant to live with. Because you probably know the people that in your life, you look at the past of your life, the people that have been most patient with you, you want to be around them. And you want to be like them. And if they're godly people, they always can see, and many times can see, maybe not always, 
always are thinking, you know what? God has a bigger plan than us getting this job done on time, all the time, and just right, and it has to be perfect. You know what? That's not how life works. Nothing, nothing really goes by schedule, God's schedule. And we have to struggle with giving God our calendar, which we saw last week, and then being patient with those that God has put in our life um, by strengthening our faith. So whenever someone tries your patience, think of this way. They're trying your faith. They're not trying your patience. Patience is just a fruit. You're trying my faith, and that's a good thing when your faith is tried, right? Because James 1 tells us we go through various trials so that our faith gets stronger. So when someone tries your patience, think of it differently like someone's trying my faith. Will my faith, can I see God in this? Will I see God in this? Will I see that the second coming is at hand? It's close. It's not worth being impatient. Because then you're going to start practicing patience on a regular basis, and your faith in your God is going to grow stronger. Let's continue in verse 9. If you don't do this, and you're impatient with people, this is probably what will come out of your mouth. Verse 9. Do not grumble, complain, murmur against one another, brothers. Now, how many of you have driven too slow behind a car, and you have grumbled and complained the whole time. Oh, these people. Oh, where'd they get their license? They shouldn't even be driving. And we say thoughts like that, and I, I've said that, so I know what you... Uh, and we have... You've probably worked with someone, and they're not good at their job. And they make your job harder. You say, man, why doesn't the boss just get rid of this dead wood? Okay, we just... go. Oh. If we could purge, we could just, oh, but they're related to the boss or whatever, okay? And you have to, you have to endure this. So what's James going to tell us? When we lack patience and we don't see the second coming, we're not thinking about faith in Christ, we don't see our faith growing in this, where our faith isn't strengthened, our tendency is going to be to grumble against one another, brothers. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers. That's not patience. Patience and grumbling do not go together. Impatient people grumble. So that, verse 9 continues, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital J, that's Christ, he's standing at the door. Now, if I knew that Christ was standing at the back door and I had to talk to him after, about how faithful I was to his word. I'd be making sure that what I told you was God's word. He's going to judge me by what I say from this pulpit every week. And James 3 says, don't be many teachers, brothers. No, you're going to be judged more strictly. Okay? And you have heard, all of you here today have heard about being patient and practical up to this point, practical ways to be patient. And you're going to stand before Christ in judgment because when he comes, judgment comes after that. And all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We can't deny that. 1 Corinthians 3 is very clear about that. And if you don't think patience is a big deal, 
You're going to grumble against one another. And if you do grumble against one another, Christ is going to judge you at the judgment seat for that grumbling, for your lack of patience. So we need to learn practical patience until Christ comes, but when he comes, judgment's going to come after that. So that's why I believe James talks about the judgment that Christ is going to give us. Practical patience because Christ judges. So Christ is coming, and that helps me to be patient, and Christ is going to judge me, and that also helps me to be patient. Now here is what, and we've already learned from James, when I grumble and try to judge other people for their lack of whatever they lack, I turn into the judge, and I'm not allowing Christ, the judge, to do his job. You know Christ can judge better than all of us? Christ can cause the people that are driving really slow in front of us to realize, oh, it's 45, or maybe I should pull off because I got a line of 10 cars behind me, and I'm, I'm the reason that there's that line of cars. And sometimes that happens, and sometimes it doesn't. And the other nine people in the line can lack patience and grumble, but the person who's a Christian who is mature is thinking Christ is coming back. If I'm driving 35 into 45, it's no big deal. And that's just one example of the many, many ways that we can show patience with Christ coming and Christ judging that causes us, our faith, to be a little more clear and it affects how we live, how we think, what we say, what we don't say. Because Christ judges, I don't have to grumble against other people. That's God's job. God's job is to judge. I just have to be patient by not complaining against others. You will find that you will leave here on Sunday and there will be things about church that you wish were different. Man, if I was the pastor, okay, you can think that way. Man, if I was teaching Sunday school, or if I was in the nursery, or if I was in the parking lot, or if I was whatever, if it was up to me, things would be different around here. Okay. Yep. You can show a lack of patience here. At church, where you should be patient, right? And we show our lack of patience when we complain against others. And what are we forgetting? The judge is standing at the door. Husband, wife, you can judge each other at home and have a horrible marriage. But what you don't realize is right around the corner, hearing everything you say is the real judge. He will help you be patient with your spouse. Your heavenly father calls you ch children, and us as parents can really show a lack of patience because our kids can't make their bed without help, or they can't cut their meat or they can't do a lot of things for themselves, or they can't spend money wisely, or spend time on their iPad wisely, or whatever it is that frustrates you as a parent. But we don't need to complain about our kids, especially other people, or even your spouse, or even to them. They may just need extra sleep. They need to be taught, and they're given another chance, another chance to do things. And they will not want to learn from you if you are yelling at them. They'll have to endure that because they live with you, but they won't, they won't uh, appreciate it or they won't enjoy it. And Christ-like patience shows itself by not complaining against others. Verse 10, 
So here he gives us the truth, and then he gives us an example. Like before, he gave us the uh, farmer, and then, then the teaching. He gives us the teaching in verse 9, and then the examples. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We read Isaiah 6 for a reason. Isaiah, probably more than any other prophets, but a lot like many of the other prophets, he had to learn patience. He saw the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6, and then God says to him, Speak for me, Isaiah. Here am I, send me, he says. And then he says, So how long do I speak? Until no one wants to listen. Until all of the cities are laid waste, until you have a tenth of the people that used to be in Israel, a tenth of them. So 90% of the people are dead, and what's left are just a remnant of people. Isaiah just keeps speaking. And according to church history, or uh, biblical history, uh, extra biblical history, it's not recorded for us, Isaiah was killed as a martyr. No one wanted to listen to him to the point that he's, they said, Isaiah, you are the problem of our nation, and we're going to kill you, Isaiah, instead of turning from our idols to the true and living God. Jeremiah is called what? The weeping prophet. Why was he weeping? Because Israel wasn't listening to him. You probably have tried and tried and tried and tried to witness to people and they won't listen 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 they then eventually they turn you off so what what encouragement do we need to have patience with them the prophets as you read the old testament i hope you have this year if you haven't go back and read isaiah jeremiah ezekiel tonight we're going to look at daniel you think daniel had to have patience he's in a lion's den in his 80s He's been in captivity for 65-plus years. He knows what it's like to need patience. And there are many, many others. Read the Minor Prophets. They all needed patience with the people they're witnessing to, the people that they're testifying against. They needed patience. Um, one of the first prophets, Moses. Another of the first prophets, Samuel. They needed extreme patience with the people that were... Just read, read through the Israel's history of what Moses had to endure. Did he need patience? Oh, yeah. Did the people of Israel try his patience? No, they didn't. They tried his faith. And many times he saw God. A few times he didn't. When he struck the rock and God says, you didn't see me there. You didn't glorify me in the people's eyes. And you are wrong. And you're not going to go in the promised land. We need to learn patience from the prophets. We have them. We have what's written about them. We need to read their stories with what James is trying to teach us in mind. Okay? Do not grumble against the people that are around you. Don't grumble against the people at this church. Don't grumble about the people that, that are you work with. Don't grumble about the people that you have to see again at Christmas that you just saw at Thanksgiving. Don't grumble about the people in your life. Why? Because Christ is coming. Because you'll be judged by the Christ who comes. And you need to see God in all of this, growing your faith, establishing your hearts, encouraging you to walk with the Lord. Verse 11. The, the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. They didn't speak on their own authority. Verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
They just keep doing what is right. And, and you'll see that uh, is um, a continuation of James 1, I believe it's 4, the steadfastness that is tried. So when we keep serving the Lord, keep speaking for the Lord, keep walking with the Lord, keep imitating the Lord, then we will, cons we, we will be considered blessed. When we have Christ-like patience, how much patience did Christ have to have with his disciples, the most faithful to Christ people on earth? He had to have a lot of patience with them. How much patience did he have to have with children? And he said, no, allow the little children to come unto me. How much patience did he have with the Pharisees, the religious rulers? How much patience did he have with Nicodemus or Zacchaeus? How, many patience, how much patience did he have with the woman caught in adultery? How much patience did our Savior have at the cross? Oh, man. We're going to be judged by our Savior who showed us perfect patience and expects us to walk in his steps. We need to learn patience from the prophets. And then in verse 11, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How steadfast was Job? Job said throughout his book, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God kills me through this, and he didn't get, Satan was behind it, he didn't get answers that he wanted. But what we can see about Job was he was steadfast to the point when God does speak to him and doesn't answer why he's sick and why he lost all of his kids and wealth in one day and why all those bad things happen. You know what God gave Job? He gave him, Job, where were you whenever I created everything? He gave him a lesson on theology, what you need to know about who God is, and Job took it and said, that's what I was missing. He didn't have to have answers to all of his problems. And when we go through trials, we want to know answers, and that's not what we learn from Job. We don't get answers, and when we don't get answers, our faith is tried and our patience is tested. And if we'll trust in our God who is behind all of that and allows all these things to happen to us, and we can see that he is coming, that he will judge, we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Job continued to serve God, even though he struggled tremendously. None of us probably will ever face what Job did. And Job is an example for us, a human example. Prophets are human examples. Job is a human example of it is possible to walk with the Lord. And we look at Job now and say, wow, he was blessed. And all of this, we have one more slide. We learn patience from Job. Go back to Job. God is behind all of what happens to Job, when it happens, how it happens, and Job has to see that, and when he sees it, it strengthens his faith even more. You can imagine if Job lost any of his other kids in the future, he would have talked to God differently. If he would have lost any of his wealth in the future, and we don't have that recorded for us, 
he wouldn't be a problem. If he lost his wife before he died, he, he'd be steadfast. And we have so much more scripture than Job. And we have no excuses for being ignorant of who God is. And it's the knowledge of God, our knowledge of God and our trust in our God that's tested whenever we lack patience. So verse uh, 11 says, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if you were to talk to Job, he would say, God was compassionate and merciful to me. But all of your kids died. All of your wealth was gone and your health and you're at the point of death. Yes, but God is not behind. God does not get the blame for all of that. I know God better. Job would teach us. And he does in his book. So verse 12, and we're done. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Above all, sounds like uh, Ephesians 6, above all, taking the shield of faith. Above all, why is honesty mentioned here? It's interesting that we talked about honesty in Sunday school and John Sparkman and I did not get on the same page and talk, oh, let's talk about Rahab and, and uh, James 5, 12 at the same time. But God put these together. Christ judges. How does he judge? Well, he's coming, and he's going to judge. He's going to judge how honest we are. We need to be people of our word. Patient people are honest people. It's a struggle, and I'm honest with you. I try to be honest with you about my struggles. I struggle on 110 this morning because I lack patience. I struggle as a parent. I struggle a lot. And in our one-to-one -one discipleship, in our close relationships here at church, we need to have a friend that we're honest with. If you are struggling, you should say, I am struggling with this. I'm really, my patience is gone with this person, that people, with this situation at work, whatever it is. You need to have a friend here at church that is going to help you walk with God and help you see. There, have you thought about the coming of the Lord? No, I have this person in my mind. No, have you thought about the coming of the Lord? Have you thought about how the Lord judges you? Have you thought about James 5? Have you thought about how you speak? Because how you speak shows up here in verse 9 about complaining and then about being a person who's impatient, sometimes has to convince people that they are doing what they need to be doing. And if your character doesn't isn't Christ-like, you're going to have you're going to struggle with getting people to believe you. And so here I believe uh, is whenever we have patience, we're trusted by people and we don't have to. You know, hear, hear kids talk to each other and say, yes, no, no, I, I swear, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I swear, and they, they just keep adding stuff to get people to believe. And you know why they have to do that? Because they're, they're habitual liars. But if I always had to tell you, no, you need to believe me. You need to believe me. And I keep saying that over and over again. You're like, why does he keep saying that? <laughs> why isn't his word enough? Practical patience. Because it's not about getting everything done. And I've got to, every, everybody's got to get in line because my, my calendar, my schedule is the most important thing. No, it's not. My Christ-likeness has to be what I need to be concerned about. And when God tries my faith, he's going to see, he's testing me in verse 11 to see if I believe that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
When I struggle with patience, I forget that my God is coming, that my God is going to judge me, and the type of God that judges me is a compassionate and merciful God. Well, that helps me tremendously to have patience with people. And now I have to turn the tables on me. Okay, this is, a, this is about what we need to be doing. And James is going to teach us about who God is, his coming, his judgment. But now he's going to flip it and say to us, how do people view you? Do people view you as a patient person? Why not? Because you don't walk with God. You are not trusted by people, and you have to swear. You have to do all these things to say, and that's not taking God's name in vain, swearing or whatever. It is, yeah, yeah, I got to take this oath because no one's going to believe me. If you've ever been in a courtroom, but they make you raise your hand. I don't think they make you, in Massachusetts they didn't, make you put your hand on a Bible, but they make you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Yes. Okay? And then I had to testify once uh, in a courtroom. But when I know God, I don't even have to take that oath. If I'm trying to please God, who's going to come, who's going to judge me, and he's a compassionate, merciful God, everything that I say should be truthful and honest. So practical patience is by being a person of your word. And people who are a person of their word will go to great lengths to help other people to fulfill their promises and not trying other people's faith and showing they lack patience, but trying to be a person of our word. Final note here. The coming judge is compassionate, merciful, and honest. And because of that, we need to ask him for help to be like him. And being like him in this passage is being patient. Let's pray. Our Father, we're such an impatient people. We pack our calendars with things that we think are important. We try to organize our lives and try to get people that work for us and work around us uh, to fall in line, to do what we tell them to do. And when they don't, we struggle with patience with them. And I pray that we would not take upon ourselves your job of judging. Help us to learn from this passage that our faith is tried, that our faith needs to grow whenever we are dealing with impatient people around us and we are tempted to be impatient ourselves. Help us to be honest and most of all, help us to be compassionate and merciful and like our Savior so that you can use us for your glory and we can uh, help others to be used of you as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.